Well, good morning, church. Man, life is a journey, but isn't it great to have Jesus Christ with you on that journey? Oh, man, we've got so much blessing in Jesus Christ, and we come together this morning to celebrate Him and all that He's done for us in our life and the, the precious love that He gives to each and every one of us to encourage each and every one of us on that journey. And we also are here this morning to encourage one another on the journey, to realize that we're not in this thing alone, that we've got one another. Uh, and what a joy it is to be a part of the family of God as we experience Jesus Christ together at Crosspoint. Thanks again for being here this morning. We want to extend a welcome to our guests that are with us. Thanks for joining us and being a part of what we're doing this morning. We hope and and trust that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to think about being a part of Crosspoint, joining us and telling the story of Jesus Christ. There are lots of gift sets out there. You've got several, I'm sure, and we'd love uh, to, to get you to help us tell that story, to remind those around us that indeed Jesus does make all things new in your life. Uh, We do that through word and our actions in life. We want to love on those who we come in contact with each and every day, not just Sunday, but each and every day. Uh, And so we come together as the family of God to share in that message of Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to remind you that today we're beginning a brand new series, and it's called Rewrite. And you may be asking yourself, What does that mean for me? Rewrite. Well, over the next five, six weeks, we're going to dig into the idea that Jesus Christ is rewriting your story and my story. That indeed he has rewritten where we would have been had it not been for him. Uh, We're going to dig into the idea of who Jesus truly is to you and to me. Because guess what happens in six weeks? It is Easter Sunday. Hard to believe we're already talking about that. It's a great opportunity, though, as we work through this series that will culminate on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, uh, as we share in the message of Jesus Christ and all that he is to each and every one of us. Now, this time of year is a great opportunity for you to invite people to Crosspoint. Uh, Most people, in the Bible Belt anyway, are prepared and ready for friends and family to invite them to a church service on Easter Sunday. Now, we've got some professional postcards out on the Welcome Center um, labeled Christ is Risen, and we invite you to grab a handful of those and hand those out to your friends, coworkers, neighborhood, family members to invite them to be here on Easter Sunday. Uh, You can invite them to be here next week if you want to. That'd be great. But certainly Easter Sunday, they'd be open to coming and being a part of that. We're going to open with a sunrise service on Easter uh, Sunday. That's at 7.15, and then we'll have our normal two services. And so it'll be a great morning to be together, a great opportunity for you to help share the message of Jesus Christ. This morning, we want to dig into the idea that at times Jesus is unexpected in our life. There are moments where he reveals himself in ways that we think, wow, that can only be the Son of God. We're going to be in John chapter 14 initially this morning, but we're going to be in a lot of different texts. All of them will be on the screen, and I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there as we dig into, begin to unpack this idea of being rewritten, that Jesus is making us everything that we could not be on our own, that he's blessing us in incredible and great ways. There have been moments in your life, I'm sure, where you've had mistaken identity, where someone thought you were someone else. Uh, Many of you know the Jacksons that used to attend here. They now live in Wyoming, Steve and Wanda. And I got Wanda's permission to tell this story. I'm just going to tell a a small window of the story. In 1990, she got married, and her name changed to Jackson. And uh, she got pulled over for a taillight being out. 
And after 45 minutes of them checking out her driver's license and uh, making calls uh, on their police scanner, what have you, uh, they pulled her out of the car, handcuffed her, and took her down and booked her. She was being arrested for prostitution. (laughs) Yes, if you know Wanda, that would have been an amazing thing to watch unfold. Now, the thing with Wanda is, once Steve got there, they kind of sorted things out, and what they realized is that Wanda Jackson had been hired, (laughs) not been hired, had been arrested uh, in lieu of a woman named Lowanda Jackson. Their driver's license numbers were one number off. Uh, and so it was a case of mistaken identity, which clearly she got out of that, and there was no issues along the way. As a matter of fact, when she got uh, to the court an, a month later to pay her ticket, uh, the judge dismissed everything, saying that she had been through enough already. She didn't even have to, she didn't even have to pay anything. But there have been moments in your life, I'm sure, where you've had mistaken identity. When I was in high school, my, I've got two younger brothers, the middle brother. He and I sound very similar on the telephone. And this is pre-cell phone, so when his girlfriend would call and I answered, man, I got lots of great information. <laughs> kind of blackmail information, as a matter of fact, talking about the date weekend, where we went, what we did, got lots of great information. There are moments when you've had mistaken identity. Maybe, maybe you drive a car that belonged to uh, another person, uh, looked like they drove your car, and so someone got you mixed up with someone else, or maybe... Hopefully you haven't had this experience like I have, where people ask you the question, are you a Christian? That's a hard question. When you think about the ramifications of someone having to ask you if you are who you say you are. I wonder in Jesus' ministry, was he ever like that? People looking at him, seeing the life that he lived, and really asking the question, are are you really the Son of God? Are you really the Messiah? Are you the anointed one that's going to relieve us from the chaos that exists in the world? I I mean, there are followers around him all the time, and as they follow him in his ministry and listen to him, they have seen Jesus Christ. They have seen him cast out evil spirits. They've seen him reach down and pick up a man who could not walk, who suddenly now could walk. They've seen him touch the face of a blind man who now could see because of the touch of Jesus Christ. They've heard his deep theological teaching, which overpowers the current religious leaders of the day. They've seen this man called Jesus feed 5,000 people with one sack lunch. And Jesus in John chapter 6 says to the crowd that's following him who he truly is. And he says, listen, I am the bread of life. If you partake of me, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you will have peace in your life. You will have everlasting life. And in verse 66, it says, many of his followers left him, deserted him. These are people that had seen the miracles, had heard the teaching, but for some reason, they did not believe Jesus to be who he said he was. 
And in John chapter 14, Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as we begin to unpack this idea about who Jesus is over the next several weeks, I want us to focus on the idea that he truly is the Son of God, that he truly is everything that he ever claimed to be, that there's no way to eternal life except through him. I mean, that is the heart of Christianity, is it not? That we understand who Jesus truly is. Because if he's just another guy, if he's just another great man, if he's just another prophet, I'm not sure that he fits the bill of what we need for eternal life. And in our own lives, we're called to talk about that story. We're called to express to those around us who Jesus is to us. You and I should have so much joy in our life that it is just insurmountable by the world. That we would push them away in ways that they could not understand why we have so much peace in the chaos. Why we have so much joy in the unhappiness. Why we have so much love to give in an unloving world. And so to do some of that as we begin today, I want to unpack who Jesus truly is. And what we understand from his teaching is that he was truly countercultural in his teaching. He went against the grain. He was a different person than those in his day. I cannot express to you hard enough how radical Jesus Christ was while he lived on this earth. He was phenomenal. He was absolutely deliberate in how he took on the existing culture to show them a better, a new way. He wanted to make all things new for his followers, and he expects his followers to go against the grain as well, to be countercultural in the way that we talk and treat people, the way that we live life out. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about two different ways. He says, listen, there's a broad way that the, the world is on, and it is headed for destruction Because it's all full of folks who want nothing to do but with themselves. He says, listen, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus reminds his followers, listen, I'm going to... Set the parameters for what it means to be a follower. I'm going to set the parameters for what it means to love this world and love God. And there are going to be few people who will be able to actually come behind and follow. People who will be able to let go of themselves in order to become selfless. To to truly care about God's creation the way I care. Jesus' path will make all the difference in the world to you and to me. He's counter-cultural on serving. Just the way that we come together to serve those around us. And Georgia just mentioned a great way that we'll have the opportunity March 24th. I hope that you'll sign up and be there with me. It'll be a great opportunity to show the love of Christ around us. But Jesus' definition of greatness was really talking about the number of people that you serve. 
the number of people that you interact with on a servant level. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 25, He says to his disciples, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is countercultural in the way that we serve those around us. He says, if you're going to follow me, if you want all things to be different in your life, then it means leaning into the lives of other people and putting yourself second or last. If you choose to follow me, it's going to be different, and not only on serving, but also on giving. You see, this world is all about stuff. How much stuff can I collect? And you look in any one of our homes, mine included, and the garage is full as well, and the stuff that we can't fit in those two places, we've got a storage place where we've rented to put the other stuff that won't fit in our house. It's an American pandemic. Our society puts huge emphasis on stuff. And there's nothing wrong with stuff as long as you use it to the glory of God. As long as you let other people in on the story that you are getting to celebrate. Jesus says that our finances, our possessions, are our only a way to share the love of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is in the town of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He's about to get on a ship, and the elders from the the town of Ephesus in that church are on the dock with Paul. They're seeing him off as he boards this ship, and they have a feeling they're never going to see him again. The tears are flowing. But one of the last things that Paul reminds that church of, he says, remember what Jesus says, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Interesting parting shot that the Apostle Paul gives the church in Ephesus, reminding us that the things that we are blessed with in life are simply a conduit to share the love of Jesus Christ. We find joy and purpose when we make a decision to follow Jesus, serve those around us, and use what we have to share the story of Jesus Christ. But he's also countercultural on praying. What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to be a person who wants to share a message with our Heavenly Father? And we sometimes get wrapped up in how we look when we are in public praying, and whether we feel the courage to get on stage maybe for a communion prayer. Some of us have trouble even with our own families at the dinner table offering a prayer. It's out of my comfort zone. I have problems with that at times too, believe it or not. Every Thanksgiving, we gather in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Robin's family comes there. We meet at one of her family members' homes. And dinner is typically ready on Thanksgiving Day about 2 p.m. And because I'm the pastor preacher in the house, I get to pray. I don't knock it. it's, It's a good thing. But I also know that there are people in that family who don't know Jesus. And I don't want to be too churchy in my words. I want to say the right thing to pull them into the story. And so I stress and work through it. But the truth is, I just need to talk to God. I don't need to worry about what those words sound like. 
They need to hear my passion for Jesus Christ. And that is what pulls them into the story along with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, this text. He says, when you pray, don't, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they are ever going to get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, does that mean really, do I need to go to my bedroom, to my closet, shut the door? Well, is something, no, nothing wrong with that. But it's hyperbole to say, don't be showy, just talk to God. It's different than maybe some other places that claim to have a connection to God. But he's also countercultural on life and death as well. See, this world is all about self-preservation, selfishness. It's all about me, I. How do I gain in this? How do I promote myself to the top? How do I become the last man standing, so to speak? But Paul reminds us as he writes the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, listen, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That it's in Christ that I actually have life. It's not about me. It's not about the stuff I have or the title on my door or the diplomas hanging on my wall. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And we have trouble in life when we lose our eternal perspective on how we're called to follow the rabbi from Nazareth. When we have eternal perspective, then the chaos falls to the background. Because the idea, guys, is we don't know what tomorrow holds. We can't control that any more than we can control whether the Cowboys go to the Super Bowl. (laughs) Case in point is a story that we've seen unfold over the last few months and years in our country. Valentine's Day, Parkland, Florida. 17 people end up losing their life, students, administrators, teachers, many people hurt. And I will promise you, as they got ready for school that morning, none of them ever thought, I'm not going home today. We, we don't know what tomorrow holds. But this we do know, that in Christ we have life. That in Christ the chaos doesn't matter. Because our perspective is eternal. That we're leaning into the story of God. That we truly want to be everything that he's called us to be. And in so doing, like Jesus, we confront chaos in the world with courage and love and strength. Because that's exactly how he lived that out. And the sooner we can grasp the truth of how much life Jesus breathes into us, the sooner that we can pass that story on to those around us who are struggling in darkness. Preston Sprinkle is an author and writer. He wrote a book called Go. He's written several others as well. I think it's in your sermon notes if you'd like to look it up and maybe read it. It's a great book. But on page 50, he has a quote that struck me as where we're at in this process. And he says, Jesus came to establish an upside-down kingdom where enemies are loved, where persecutors are prayed for, and he deliberately invested in the foolish things of the world 
to show off the wisdom of God. That is, that's the Jesus that I follow. And it's not always easy, but we are called to make our world upside down in a great way, to lean into the story of God. And it is then that we will find fulfillment in life. But Jesus' teaching is not only countercultural, it is also powerful. It is strong. We know very little about his early years, his child years, his growing up teen years. What we do know is really based upon what we know of all Jewish boys, what he would have gone through in that process. But we're not told too much about his life. But why would a crowd sit on a mountainside mesmerized and miss a meal? Can you imagine being present in the days that Jesus lived? I can only imagine that I would also miss a meal to hear his teaching and preaching because he is challenging, he is convicting, while at the same time loving. He makes within us the desire to change. The one that created our hearts knows exactly how to pluck our heartstrings to cause change. And he took the... the, the moments of the day, the teaching of the day, and elevated that teaching. He was that powerful to motivate people out of the conundrum that they were in and move them to a different level. You see, not only was his teaching powerful, but he is also authoritative when he teaches. He is the creator, the son of God. There is something different about this, the way this rabbi brought it. He convicted those that listened. And even as we read his words today, you and I are convicted. He often says this word, this phrase, you have heard it said, but I say. He takes it to a whole new level. He says, listen, you have heard it say, do not murder. Don't don't kill another human being. But I say... If you've got anger in your heart, it's the same thing. The challenge for a heart change. He says, listen, you you have heard it say, do not commit adultery. Don't take your physical aspect outside the marriage bed. But I say, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It's a heart change. And in those words, he convicted every man that was listening to him. And today he convicts every one of us. Jesus says, you have heard it say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If somebody takes something from you, you take something from them back. But he says, turn the other cheek. Don't reply with violence when you have received violence. You have heard it say, hate your enemies. Don't offer them anything. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, Jesus, with authority, takes teaching to a whole new level. And he challenges and convicts us to follow him. 
in a way maybe that we have never done before. You see, a, a rabbi's teaching is called his yoke. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talks about that yoke. He says it's light when you follow him. When you make a decision to come on the narrow way, when you follow that rabbi, it will be different. He says you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. Jesus wants to remind those who follow him that he already knows the best way to give you peace. He already knows the best way to circumnavigate the chaos that our decisions can bring in our life. He already knows how to share the love with us that we desperately need in our life. And he says, if you make a decision to follow me, I promise you that my teaching will be light because the truth of it is, I know that you are tired. I know that you are worn out from trying to keep all the rules. But if you follow me, I'm going to extend grace and mercy. And with me, you are going to find rest. Doesn't that sound good to us? I want to take a nap. It says good. Jesus says, I'm going to rewrite your life in a way that you never could. I'm going to to do something in you to make all things new so that you will truly embrace and know who the Son of God really is. Jesus was so fresh and practical and available in his teaching. I mean, look at the story. People came from miles to hear him speak. People missed meals to hear him speak. People ripped open the roofs of houses in order to get to Jesus. He was an incredible man of God. He was God. And he calls us to follow him. And this morning we're sitting here and saying, you know, I know Jesus was perfect. He was authoritative, countercultural, but does he want someone as imperfect as me to follow him? And it's a resounding yes. Jesus wants you. He loves you. The process of following someone, which I've mentioned before, is very common in Jewish society. Early on in those early years, uh, young men, boys would go to the synagogue and they would sit at the feet of a rabbi and they would learn, memorize the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They typically would go back and then learn the family trade. But if they were really good, and the rabbi thought they were, he would invite them to stay longer in the learning process and they would memorize the rest of the Hebrew Bible. And they would get done maybe about 15, 16 years of age, and most guys would go back to their family business, apprentice their father, and they would learn the family trade. But if you were the best of the best of the best, the rabbi would look at you and say, I think, I believe you can be me. I think you can do what I do. Come and follow me. Some five times in the Gospels, Jesus says, believe in me. Some 20 times in the Gospels, Jesus says, follow 
me. He's inviting us into his story. Look what he says in John chapter 15 and verse 16. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Do you hear that, church? He's chosen you. He wants you. He loves you. And there are those in this room who think, no, I'm too far gone. I'm too far out of it. You don't understand where I've been. You don't know what I've done. And Jesus sees your life and he says, anyway, I want you anyway. I love you despite the roads and the choices that you have made in life. I mean, look what happens in Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum, and when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short, Be quiet. Come out of that man. At that the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits do as he orders. What we've got to realize, church, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your friend circle looks like, you and I have to lean into the idea that Jesus is all that matters. At the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that matters. You and I cannot have salvation without Jesus Christ. With him in our life, you and I have hope. We have excitement. We have authority. We have the ability to conquer mountains. All the chaos in our life fades to the background because Jesus is all that matters. The day Jesus died, people were shouting insults at him on his way out of Jerusalem. They were standing in disdain because they did not know who he truly was. And he stood toe-to-toe with those people. And he said, I'll die for you anyway. There are those of us in this room, we struggle with anger issues. And we erupt at times and we say things to those that we love that we should not. And Jesus looks at us and he says, I'm going to die for you anyway. There are those of us in here that have addictions, chemical or otherwise. And Jesus looks at you and says, I'm going to extend grace anyway. 
There are those of us in here that are so wrapped up in ourselves and our selfish desires that we lose sight of the reality that Jesus can make all things new. And Jesus looks at us and he says, it doesn't matter, I'm going to extend mercy to you anyway. Church, what a blessing. Church, what, what an incredible God we serve. That Jesus Christ, despite our shortcomings, even while we were sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. What, what, what an incredible moment for us to wrap our arms around, to realize that we have a Savior that loves us so incredibly much that no matter what is going on in our life, He still wraps us up and He says, come, follow me. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to know the love that I have to share with you, and I want you to become a conduit for the love I have to offer the world. And so church this morning is a reality check for all of us to ask the question individually, am I ready to follow Jesus Christ? Do I want to dig into the love that he has for me? Do I want to become his spokesman in the world? I have for me a resounding yes, because nothing else matters but Jesus Christ. The idea that he can in my life, despite choices I've made, make all things new. He loves me and he loves you. Church, what a joy. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. And as we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess would be that there are some of us in here who are struggling. We've got some things going on in our life that we're dealing with. Some things that we think, man, I'm alone in this, but you should know that Jesus Christ walks with you even when you think you can't see him. And so maybe you you need some reassurance. You need some reminder that Jesus Christ is indeed with you. And so I want to encourage you as we sing this song, go find one of our shepherds. Let them pray for you. Let them pray over you. Let them lay hands on you to remind you of the peace that only Jesus Christ can bring in the chaos. Maybe today is the day that you make a decision publicly to say, I want to be baptized into Christ. I want his Holy Spirit living within me. I want to enjoy everything that Jesus Christ has to give me. And today's the day that you make that affirmation of faith. We hope that for you, the Holy Spirit has pulled back the curtain, that he reminds each and every one of us that Jesus Christ is real, that he did indeed raised from the grave, that that resurrected king is now resurrecting me and you. Let's stand and sing together.